Numbers 21. And we'll read a passage of that in just a moment. But I want to read a verse from Deuteronomy. This is just this is Deuteronomy 31:2. And Moses said unto them, I am 120 years old this day. I can no more go out and come in. Also the Lord hath said unto me, Thou shalt not go over this Jordan. We've talked about that. He he sinned, uh, you know, and God said, You're not going to go into the the promised land. You're not going to leave this people and you're not going to go. I'll allow you to see it. It doesn't mean he was lost. It didn't, doesn't mean he was, uh, you know, apostatized or anything like that. He was quickly restored and forgiven, but there were consequences to it. And I want to talk about this, though. A lot of times when you think, he said, I'm 120 years old this day, all right? That's pretty old. And he had been a servant of the Lord. We know for at least 80 years of that, right? Uh, in the last 40 when he, when he led the children of Israel out, the calling came really uh, late in life. At 80 years old, the calling came to be the deliverer of Israel, the lawgiver, uh, the, the shepherd of Israel. He was all of those things. And he served the Lord faithfully. And a lot of times, you know, we, we might have this idea that I'm going to start winding down. Now, I know we've got a lot of young people in here. But the older you get, the more you might think. I'm certainly not, but still, uh, one might begin to think that I'm gonna. I've served the Lord faithfully, and I'm gonna. I'm going to coast maybe the last my little twilight years, and you just don't. Maybe that's the case for some, but I don't see that very often. I don't see it very often where a servant of the Lord is just like put on the back burner. Or these last five years, you just do your own thing because you've done enough. And there's, uh, there was, Moses still had things that God had for him to do. And this is what's interesting. He said, I'm 120 years old this day. And tonight we're going to focus on, okay, what was his ministry at 120? You know, not a nursing home. What, what was he doing at that time, you know, we might think, well, let some other people take over. Well, other people can serve God too, but we serve God until God releases us. We serve God. It may not always be in the exact same position. You understand what I'm saying? Some full-time missionary may come off the missionary field, but they're still going to serve God. They're going to serve the Lord, like serve Him, not just be a saved person. They're going to serve God however they can, however God would lead them to. And so we see this in a lot of different uh, a lot of different men and women of God in the Bible and other places that they served the Lord right up till He took them. And that's how personally I want to be. It makes sense to me that, that that's what the Lord would do. Because even in 120 years, our, our time on earth is short and God is the strength of our lives and He can give us strength for 80 years, 100, 120, however long He wants us to live and serve Him, He can give us what's needed to serve Him uh, for that duration. And I lied to you. We're going to go to Numbers in just a moment. I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings because I want to look at another example of a minister of the Lord, a very notable minister of the Lord, Elijah. Now, he didn't live to be 120, but I want us to see this. And... In 1 Kings chapter 19, 
Now this is after the Lord had used Elijah to call down fire from heaven and make the challenge to Baal and the prophets of Baal, right? And all those prophets were, were killed and, and then the rain was, was, was coming. And, uh, and so anyway, Jezebel makes this death threat on Elijah because she was a follower of Baal and that was her priests that were killed. And she puts a death threat out that you're going to be dead by this time tonight or tomorrow. Okay? And he gets scared. It's amazing, but it's, it's natural for a human being, but it just shows the frailty and how we need the Lord every moment. He's just called down fire from heaven, and then this woman, Jezebel, puts a death threat on him, and he's scared, and he flees. Okay? And then he wants to die. And that's another story. We're going to study about Elijah sometime soon. But he, he flees into the desert or into the wilderness. And let's pick up in verse 15. 1 Kings 19, 15. And the Lord said unto him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abimelech, Melohoah, Hola, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And skip down to verse 19. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and with the twelfth in Elijah, and he with the twelfth in Elisha passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. This is where the, the Lord, he, he was discouraged. He wanted to die. He had served God faithfully. He had been sort of a recluse for all that time during the, uh, during the famine. And there was a drought, right? No, no rain at His word for three and a half years. And then He makes His appearance and calls down fire from heaven because the Lord led Him to. And, and then He gets a death threat and He wants to die. He, he's just had enough. He's just had enough of it all. And he ends up in the, in the, on the cave overlooking a cliff and the still small voice speaks to him, right? That's a wonderful story. That's not our story for tonight. But the point is that it's, it's here where we read in verse 15, the Lord said unto him, go return on thy way. In other words, he didn't put up with any of it from Elijah. Elijah, he said, I've got at least three more things for you to do. And he names them, boom, boom, boom. Lord, I just want to die. I want to curl up in a ball. I've had enough. I feel like my service is over. Just bring me to heaven now. And who doesn't want to go to heaven now? You know what I mean? Uh, and, and, but, but God wasn't through with him yet. And God fortified him. God strengthened him. He's cleaned him up, dusted him off, put a measure of faith back in him, set him on his feet, and said, I've got these three things for you to do, Elijah. Go. I don't want to hear any more about it. I want you to go anoint... Uh, this man to be the king of Syria. I want you to go and anoint the king of Israel. And I want you to anoint Elisha to be the prophet in your stead. Because we know it wasn't too much longer than that. The Lord was going to catch him up in a chariot of fire without tasting death. Elijah, Elijah didn't know all that was planned for him. But the point is, he didn't just ride off into the sunset because he was weary and he thought it was time. And I guess that's, that's my point. Our ministry on earth is over when the Lord determines that it's over. 
Our life on earth is over when the Lord determines it, it's over. Aren't you glad that we're in His hands? That you and I, if we're in the will of God, that's the safest place to be, I always say, is in the will of God. If you're in the middle of China, in the middle of a coronavirus, that's the safest place to be if that's where God wants you to be. Alright? Our life on earth is over when God says, come on home. Okay? Uh, like it was for Stephen. You know what I mean? When they began to stone him. And he was probably a fairly young man. Our rest in Christ, we have a rest in Christ now. There's a rest even in weariness. There's a rest. You say, I'm weary in my bones. I'm just worn out. I'm, I'm worn out of preaching to people and they're rejecting Christ and me. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of loving and not being loved in return. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of giving and giving and giving. And But that's what Jesus did right up to the cross. Even on the cross. And there's a rest even in the midst of that that God gives that's very real. And He can recharge our batteries. He refreshed um, Elijah. When John the Baptist... Was, was killed and the disciples and Jesus received word of it. Jesus took His disciples apart and to, away from the crowds for a little while just to be with Him and maybe to be strengthened and refreshed. You know what I'm saying? He does that. He knows when it's needed in our lives. He never puts on us more than we can bear. But still, all in all, we serve God until we don't serve Him anymore. We serve God until He's determined that it's time for it to be over. Okay, like like Paul in Rome, where he was imprisoned and then beheaded. He served the Lord right up to the last. And so this is the case with Moses. And I want to look just like we looked at at the the tasks or the ministry that Elijah still had in in the future. Right. That God gave him those three things to do. I want to look tonight at what God still had for him at 120 years old. Now we can turn back to Numbers 21. And we're going to read verse 21 through 25. Numbers 21, 21. So this is late in the journey. He's 120 years old now. This is when this is happening. And Israel sent messengers unto Sihon, king of the Amorites. So this is one of the this is one of the Canaanite tribes. So they're right on the on the the western shore. I guess you would say of the Jordan River and have not entered in into the, uh, the eastern shore. I'm sorry. They haven't entered into the promised land and they're right on the break there. And Israel sent messengers and said, let us to this king and said, let us pass through thy land. We will not turn into the fields or into the vineyards. We will not drink of the waters of the well, but we will go along the king's highway until we be past thy borders. Now, that seems like a pretty reasonable request. Honestly, any level-headed person would say, sure, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. You know what I mean? Just stay on the highway. Don't trample our crops or whatever. So it's, a, it's a, a reasonable request. Go on and pass through. And Sihon, Sihon, this is the king, would not suffer Israel to pass through his border. But Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel into the wilderness and he came to Jahaz and found, fought against Israel. And Israel smote him with the edge of the sword and possessed his land from Arnon unto Jabbok, even unto the children of Ammon. For the border of the children of Ammon was strong. 
And Israel took all these cities, and Israel dwelt in all these cities, and the Am- of the Amorites in Heshbon and in all the villages thereof. So Moses is still the leader this time, and there was this job that God had for him to still lead the people. Joshua wasn't the leader yet, okay? Moses was still the leader. And he led them in battle. I don't know if they actually fought, but he led them as a people. And it was really an unprovoked attack. It was not reasonable. It would have been cruel. They have children, they have all their cattle, they have all their stuff. And this guy's coming against them with his army to attack them. Well, the Lord delivered them. But this was part of what God still had for him. There was the conquest of the eastern part of Canaan. The part before you crossed over the river. Okay, And this, this talks about it. Just a little background that, that it had, had originally been the land of whoever had lived there. The Moabites and the Ammonites had cast them out. And then later in turn, these two Canaanite chiefs, Sihon and Og, would take over that area. So that's who they're dealing with, and that's who they're fighting with. And so they, they possessed their land. It was a complete victory for Israel that God gave them. So here comes another king who was buddies with Sihon, and it was Og. What a name, huh? Og the king comes out, and he... He, he was, the, Josephus records this, and he's a historian, right? Jewish historian. He records that, that Og was on his way to help Sihon, the king, fight Israel when he heard of the defeat. That God had miraculously delivered this army into the hands of the Israelites. It didn't deter him at all. He just came on and thought, well, I'm, I'm going to take these Israelites out. He kept coming. And, and the Lord delivered him into the hand as well. Let's look at this in Numbers 21. Skip down to 33. And they turned. So these two battles were like back to back. And they turned and went up by the way of Bashan. And Og, the king of Bashan, went out against them. He and all his people to battle at Edrai. And the Lord said unto Moses, Fear him not, for I have delivered him into thy hand and all his people and his land. And thou shalt do to him as thou didst unto Sihon king of the Amorites, which dwelt at Heshbon. So they smote him and his sons and all his people until there was none left him alive and they possessed his land. I mean, this is still pretty major things that he's got for him. This is a whole, this would end up being a whole part of the promised land for them. You understand what I'm saying? This, the first land of Sihon, that king, was very fertile. It had fields, it had wheat, it had things like that growing, historians say. Og, the king of Heshbon, his land was known for these big, thick forests, these oak trees and timber and things like that. And Og, Josephus said, was of a gigantic stature. He was maybe a descendant of one of the giants. So he's a big guy, okay? And he's coming down to fight and probably thought, we, I can handle these people, no problem. But the Lord says, don't fear them. I've delivered them into your hands. So they possessed this fertile land for, for crops and cattle grazing and so forth. And they possessed this more mountainous area with big, beautiful timber and trees. And people say it was actually the most beautiful part or one of the most beautiful parts of the promised land was this eastern part. 
and uh, these two places. And so this is what God had for them, oak trees and olive trees and things like that. And they took it and they possessed the land. And nothing could have accounted for that other than the Lord. In other words, there was no chance for them to win other than the Lord. And he says, fear not. So he ended up giving that land. You know the story probably just from reading through the Old Testament. This land on the eastern part on this side of the Jordan, so to speak, was given to, uh, given to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh who had a lot of cattle. They ended up settling there. Well, this is when it was possessed. All right, so what's the next thing that, that uh, the Lord has for him to do? Well, the Lord has a charge for him to make, or several charges. In other words, at the end of his life, he's 120 years old, he had still uh, ministry to the people, to gather the people together and to give them charge. It wasn't just like one long speech. It was actually a series of messages and Bible scholars call it like his swan song or his farewell address. And basically it's the whole book of Deuteronomy. It is Deuteronomy chapter 1 through verse 30. Not the entire book, but almost. And scholars have said that Deuteronomy is to the four preceding books. Right? Genesis, Exodus, uh, Numbers, Leviticus. Then comes Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is to those books what the Gospel of John is to the other three Gospels. John was written last. After these other three Gospels, Deuteronomy was written. You see a lot of repetition. But what we do see a lot of in Deuteronomy is Moses' heart. We see him pleading with the people. We see him uh, speaking of the goodness of God and so forth. So it was a series of addresses. And it shows his heart for the people. And there are key phrases that are in Deuteronomy like uh, keep diligently and observe to do and as the Lord shall choose and so forth. And it talks about how beautiful the land, the promised land is and so forth. So he still had this to do at 120 years old. It was, a, it was all those series of speeches, okay, or addresses to the people in the entire 30-something chapters of Deuteronomy that was still at this age. And it's repeated. I didn't really realize this, but so much of Deuteronomy, especially that the, the, these last chapters, is repeated by other Scripture writers. They refer back to how Moses addressed the people. Uh, Paul talks about it in, in Romans chapter 11 and quotes it, and different, different uh, Bible authors do. And it's kind of like the Beatitudes. You know the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the, are the peacemakers. Blessed are you when men revile you. Blessed, blessed, blessed. And Moses talks a lot about, especially in the last chapter, about the blessings of God. If you just keep your eyes upon him, if you'll just follow him. And and this is what he's stressing. And it's what I feel like stressing. It's what you feel like stressing to your children when they may get wayward and wonder if it's worth serving God. You know, to encourage them. One thing with the fear of God, no doubt, but also, look, it's worth it. It's worth it. These blessed, it's, it's a blessed life to serve God. The whole thing from A to Z is blessed. You got difficulties, you got trials, you got tribulations. Right now, things are not going good for you and your circumstances. Right now, you're hurting. Right now, you're discouraged. But don't quit serving God. He's promised the blessings. Okay? And this is what Moses was doing late in life. 
when they're, they're on the border of the promised land, he's not going to go in. He's making all these addresses to the people. Next came, he had another job. He had the job of uh, anointing or, or ordaining his successor. We all know that that's Joshua. And I want you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 27. Numbers chapter 27. Let's pick up in verse 15. And Moses spake unto the Lord. So he was concerned about this. God hadn't showed him yet. Who's going to lead the people in? Who's going to take over? They need a shepherd, Lord. They need somebody to lead them. They're rebellious people. They're, they're sheep that wander and stray. Who's going to lead them over? He had been the only leader that the nation had ever had. Right? He was it. And so he's concerned about this. And Moses spake, spake unto the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay thine hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him charge in their sight. So this is to be a public thing. And thou shalt put some of thine honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At his word shall they go out, and at his word shall uh, they shall come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands upon him and gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. And so this is still, again, it's very similar like Elijah, right? Go anoint him to be king of Syria, him, Jehu to be king of Israel, Elisha to be prophet in your stead. I still have stuff for you to do. And here he's fulfilling those things. And this was God's answer to his prayer that he was he was seeking for someone. And it's again, it's just an intercessor's heart. Moses was not just thinking about himself. He could have said, again, I'm tired. Lord, you know, I don't care what happens to this people. They've been mean. <laughs> they have been backbiters. They have rebelled against you and me a thousand times. They have been unfaithful to you and to me a thousand times over. And I don't really care who brings them over. You know, if he didn't have that attitude. He, what did he, he had God's heart. He had the intercessor's heart. He wanted God. I don't want them to be like sheep with no leader, with no shepherd. God answers that prayer, right? God had it under control, but he, he wanted Moses to pray this. He wanted to be in Moses' heart. That's his man. He wanted a man with his heart that shared his heart and that saw what he saw and saw the needs and, and so forth. And God always answered. And so, it, Bible scholars that I was reading say it was actually on his 120th birthday when this took place. When he's given this charge over 
Joshua saying, being strong and of good courage, for thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord had sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee, he will be with thee, he will not fail thee, neither forsake thee, fear not, neither be dismayed. Immediately after Moses gives this charge to Joshua, uh, the pillar of cloud. You know, sometimes we forget it was still there. It was always there. Through the 40 years of wandering, it was still there. But immediately after he gave that charge, the pillar of the cloud stood over the door of the tabernacle, and God called Joshua and Moses to, together. Now, this was different. Called Joshua and Moses to go present themselves at the door of the tabernacle. And as they were standing at the door of the tabernacle, there was, there was this transfer that's going on. It was a God thing. It's not, it's not any slight against Moses. You're the one I'm going to use to pray for him. You're the one I'm using to, you know, to call him and to charge him and the priest. But they call him and, and the, the cloud moves over uh, to the door. And there the Lord gave the same charge. You know what I just read from Moses? Fear, Moses said to Joshua, don't fear. The Lord's going to be with you. You're going to lead the people over. God, almost word for word, not Moses now, the Lord, almost word for word, gives the exact same charge. Fear not. I'm with you. You're going to lead this people over. That must have been a great encouragement to Joshua. You know, to have Moses, the man of God. He knew Moses was the man of God. He knew Moses knew God and was his man. Have him speak that to him and then have the Lord at, at the tabernacle with the cloud there speaking to confirm it. Word for word, what Joshua had just charged him. And I think it was very encouraging to Moses too to know there's a shepherd for the people. God's anointed him. They're going to be okay. You know what I mean? And so his last couple of acts that we're going to look at tonight, we're, we're actually not going to be too much longer, but he he was called to ensure the the preservation of the law. Remember that it had been given to him. He's the lawgiver. God gave it to him. He dictated it to him. He had it written down. And to preserve it, literally physically, it was placed inside the ark. The ark of the covenant that was built when the when the tabernacle was built and all the furniture of the tabernacle and the candlestick and all that, it was placed inside the ark. And it was given that the Levites were given the charge to guard it. That was their job. So he's passing that over to them. And also it was to be every seven years, the, the Levites, God was to choose a place for the congregation to gather. Wherever they were, they were going to be called every seven years to gather. And the Levites were going to pull out the law and read it to them, or at least a portion of it every seven years. This is part of God's plan. This is what He had for them. And so Moses did that. And the, the last part, again, was, uh, was that Moses wrote uh, the, the, the book of Deuteronomy, like I said, and there was comparisons of God to a rock and, and Him being the eternal father that, that nursed, uh, mother that nursed them, the father that took care of him, them. And I want you to read with me. I just, I've just i been talking about Deuteronomy. I want us to turn to Deuteronomy 32. You know, it's really something when people... 
I just think it's out of ignorance and maybe the instruction they're getting from church leaders or whatever to, to think that the Old Testament has no bearing on us, to think that there's nothing in it for the people of God. It's, it's, a, it's ridiculous. It's, it's a deception. You know what I'm saying? It is totally for us. It's totally for us to go to. And I wonder if you talk to an average Christian today, how many have read Deuteronomy? I saw that it's all that legal stuff. I appreciate our college and career, what they're studying. Be easy to study. Let's study John. You know, let's study first and second Timothy. Let's study Revelation or whatever. But I appreciate the fact that they're studying the Word of God. In the beginning, God. And they started with Genesis and then Exodus and the different uh, these parts of the Pentateuch because it, it relates to things about Christ. It relates to our faith. It's just the New Testament is a completion of the Old Testament. They're not two totally uh, unrelated things. I know they're different covenants, but they're not unrelated. One is a fulfillment or the completion of the other. But let's just read a few passages here and get a feel. To, to me, it shows, uh, it shows Moses' heart. Let's read, read Deuteronomy 32, 1-3, and then we'll skip down. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew. It almost sounds like David in the Psalms, right? You know, Moses did write some of the Psalms. But you, you just sometimes you don't think of the lawgiver that this is him. But that this is what he's saying. It, it was just so beautiful and, and anointed. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew as the small rain upon the tender herb and as the showers upon the grass. Because I will publish the name of the Lord. Ascribe you greatness unto our God. He is our rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is He. This is doctrine. This is doctrine. It's beautiful poetry. It ascribes greatness to God. It speaks highly of the Lord. But it's, this is doctrine that he's speaking here. Let's skip down to verse 9. For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the lot of His inheritance. That's doctrine. It's talking about God's plan for Israel. That they are the apple of His eye. That He's not done with them simply because they're rebellious. He made a covenant with them. It says the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the lot of His inheritance. Okay? So he's still got Israel. And, and th again, this is doctrine. Skip down to verse 39 and 40. See now that I, even I, am He, am He, and that there is no God with Me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of My hand. For I lift up My hand to heaven and say, I live forever. Again, doctrine, speaking about the Lord, we're studying the attributes of God. Several of them would be here, right here in this passage. I'm actually going to be teaching this Sunday on the self-sufficiency of God. To me, this speaks of it right here. I am God. I'm He. There is no God you know, with me. I kill. I make alive. I wound. I heal. And I say, I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. All right, skip down to verse 46 and 47. 
And he said unto them, Set your hearts unto all the, the words which I testify among you this day, which ye shall command your children to observe, to do, all the words of this law. For it is not a vain thing for you, because it, it, it is your life. And through this thing you shall prolong your days in the land whither you go over Jordan to possess it. I'm going to stop reading there, but you see the point here. There's, there's deep things. There's instructive things there. There are fundamentals of the Bible that are found right here in this chapter and in this book. It's not just a bunch of legal jargon, you know, that um, that's just for the Hebrews has nothing to do with my life. It has everything to do with us. And he's telling them, see that you observe it. This is not a vain thing. It's going to prolong your days in the land and so forth. So I'm just going to close with this thought. It basically ends with Moses' humility, which we've talked about in some of the previous studies, right? His humility. And I'll just read this from Numbers 12.3 if you ever wonder where this first came from. Numbers 12.3, Moses was very meek. Well, that's an understatement. He, Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. That's an incredible statement. Moses didn't say that of himself. The Lord said that of Moses. Just like the Lord said of David, I found a man after my own heart. David didn't say that. God said that of him. And here, the Lord says he's, he's more, the most meek man above all the men which are upon the face of, the, of all the earth. There was a couple of million Hebrews right there. And then people that live in a different places of the planet, and Moses is the mo most meek man of all of them. He's also the most notable of all of them. He's the one that God chose. He's the one that God used. He's the one that God... Uh, shared his heart with. He's the one that God burdened his heart with. He's the one that God made him into something that he wasn't before. And he was meek above all others. And so in closing with this tonight, Moses makes the point through, through Deuteronomy over and over that he personally was nothing. That God was all. And that all that Moses accomplished, and he says it, we just don't have time to read it all, he says that all that has been accomplished through my life has been the will of God just working through me. In other words, I've been an instrument in His hand. I've been a vessel that He used. That's doctrine as well. We're vessels. If God uses you to teach His Word greatly, if God uses you to win more souls to Him than the average person, if God uses you to preach more eloquently or powerfully or anointed, than others if God uses you to sing, to give, to serve. Whatever He does through your life and my life, it is only because He chose to do that. And we are a vessel. I'm a hammer. I'm a wrench. You know, I'm a mouth. I'm a finger. I'm a hand. I'm a foot. Um, I'm an instrument or a vessel in His hand that was yielded to Him. And so are you, through which He could pour out His miracles. We just read two battles He won that He led the people at 120 years old. And the Lord says, don't fear them. I've delivered them into your hands. So He commands the people to go forward and fight. And the Lord delivered them into His hands. Who gets the glory? God. God won the victory. He chose to use Moses. And so remember that it's all because He dwelt, dwells in us, with us. 
He works in us and through us and for us and on our behalf. And it's all glory to God. And at every point along the way, when you're getting a lot of notoriety, even within the church, when we get no notoriety, even within the church, be humble. It's all God. Okay? Be humble. It's all God. God can use you. He is using you. And He can use the meek and the humble. Somebody that gets lifted up in themselves like Saul in the Old Testament, God's going to cast them aside. He's going to find somebody that will give Him the glory and allow Him to use them. So His, his life uh, work on earth comes to a close. And I just like the way the author put this. Behind Him was a long, glorious life. Before Him was the heavenly worship and the heavenly sanctuary. So just think about that. That was behind Him. 120 years behind Him. Before Him was heaven. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, God's made us kings and priests unto our God. So there's going to be a heavenly worship and a heavenly service as well. Uh, behind him, or on the earth, he had the Shekinah, Shekinah glory, the cloud. That's what it was called, the cloud, the glory of the Lord. But in heaven, he was going to see the Lord's face unveiled, face to face. That's better, right? Shekinah glory is amazing. He would come and fill the tabernacle. The priest couldn't stand to minister before the Lord because the glory of the Lord was so strong. That would have been amazing. But in heaven, we're going to see Him face to face. Unveiled face. Remember on the mountain, He saw His back parts. Some of His glory, He got to see. Uh, on this earth, He was, he was part of a, a pilgrim march and living in a tent from place to place. But in heaven, He has His final rest. Like an everlasting rest. Not soul sleep where He just is a zombie. But rest a rest that just thank god for that amen a rest we're going to enjoy that rest when we get there uh here on the earth he had a promised land that he could see from afar off he never got to enter it but in heaven he would have he would have this goodly land this heavenly mount zion that he was going to be part of and is part of and i just the, the, Paul, Paul summed it up the best when he was talking about his own life. He says, I'm in a strait between two to, to remain with you and to minister to the believers in the body or to depart and be with Christ, which he says is far better. So God wasn't being cruel or anything like that. We're going to actually look at the death of Moses next week. Okay, Lord willing, and finish up this study. And uh, there, there are some things we're going to draw from that. But I just was encouraged. I guess the point for tonight, and you can come on up, is that is that we serve God until we don't serve Him. We don't say, you know, maybe in other jobs. You can retire from Exxon. You can retire from secular jobs. I understand that. And praise God when you're able to do that. But we don't ever retire from our service to the Lord. 120 years old, he still had two battles to fight, right? And possessed the land and some instructions and books of the Bible to write and charges to give the people and to anoint Joshua to be a successor. And he still had things for him to do. And don't ever feel uh, that, that your best is behind you. I know we have mostly young people in here, but still just don't feel like, well, I did that and now I'm going to coast. We're not going to coast. We're going to serve. We're going to work. 
We're going to labor. Jesus said, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. He tells us to work while it's day. The night cometh when no man can, can work. But it hasn't come yet. Right? The night hasn't come yet. We're still here. We're still Spirit-filled believers here and now. We can still serve God. We're still light and salt on the earth. And I just want to encourage you, the best days of your life may still be, and probably are, I'm talking about your earthly life, ahead of you. Ahead of you. And think, well, I've taught children's Sunday school class for 25 years. I've done this. But there's still more in front of us. There's a lot of ground to take. And we'll serve, and we'll serve. And we might be, we might be raptured tonight. Or we might live another many years and serve God and, and walk with God. But be, but be encouraged. Even in the midst of the work, He gives us rest right in the middle of it, like He did for Elijah. He strengthened him, pat him on the back, sent him on his way. You know, I got more for you to do, and sent him out. So I just want to close with that tonight, y'all.